0: Hello and welcome to the Total Quidditch podcast, a place where we talk to the people who make Quidditch what it is and give them an opportunity to share their stories and experiences of the sport. I'm Fraser and I'll be your host. Welcome to episode 27 of the podcast. For this one, we have another UK Quidditch-based discussion now that the first two Quidditch UK community fixtures have been played out. Firstly in Derby, the start of September with Velociraptors QC taking first place in Division 1 and South Sea Quidditch placed in Division 2. Then, most recently, on the 9th of October in London, Wales of London first came out victorious in Division 1, Olympians QC took the Division 2 title, and Wales of London took top spot in Division 3 to secure a glorious double victory for one of the home clubs on the day. With there now being a considerable break until the UK community teams are back in action officially when they return for the European Qualifier Tournament in February 2022, it's a good time to take stock of UK Quidditch after the opening few events returning from the pandemic enforced hiatus. Uh, for this episode, I have three guests joining me today, making this the biggest episode we've had on the podcast so far. warm welcome to Alex Carpenter, beater and seeker of Southampton QC and Team UK fame, now applying a trade with the West Country Rebels. warm welcome to fitness queen herself, Mariana Parakeen, beater and seeker for Olympians QC and Spain. And lastly, a warm welcome to Seb Waters, London QC and UK and England keeper, returning for his second appearance on the pod, joining a very exclusive club of returning guests. How's everyone doing? Good, Goodness, good. Fraser.
1: Nice to be here. <laughs> Thanks but, for I'm having me.
0: Glad to get going. Yeah, for sure. So, As I said, biggest episode we've had so far, so it's good to find a time to actually do this. <laughs> awesome shall we should we jump into it yeah let's do it fantastic so to start things off uh we've now had two quidditch uk community league fixtures since returning from the covid break so firstly what have we made of the tournament experience at these fixtures so far what have we enjoyed about the fixtures in terms of the venues the organization the structure the format is there anything we'd like to see improve for future fixtures? What are our thoughts? I,
2: I think the organization has been incredible. Like I I, I can't give enough props to the, the organizing committee and the steps they've gone to to like get everything organized and run really good events. They seem extremely capable. Um, and I, I felt like the events have gone really smoothly. And I think that's partially as well been um, like attributable to the scheduler app, which I think has been really great because it's been really easy to see where everything is. And you can, they've been updating it on the fly and um, yeah, I've really enjoyed been using that. And also the venues have been great because they've all had a bar on site. I mean, that's that's hey. one of the reasons. <laughs> I mean, <laughs> um, in, in Rebels, we were all very excited to get a, a glass of cider. At the end of the tournament,
1: <laughs> we went Living home, true to the w- West Country guys, getting the side yeah. of the game.
2: <laughs> How we roll?
1: <laughs> yeah, mm-hmm. no, I, I agree with Alex completely. I think the um the organisation was fantastic. I didn't make it to the first fixture, but the second one I thought was fantastically run. It's really easy for me because it was about you know fifteen minutes from my house, so that was quite nice. Um, but yeah, <laughs> ultimately, I thought I thought it was brilliantly run. In terms of the tournament format, I really, I'm really, i a fundamental massive fan of league fixtures that only last one day um, with one major tournament at the end. I think it's so much more sustainable and the, the new kind of split in terms of university and community with some form of off-season for a few months uh, is, is exactly what we need to keep player retention in the game. We had, we had a bit of a problem with the fact that the season took up every waking minute of the entire year. Uh, and now it, having a little bit of a break in the off-season, I think is a really useful thing to have. So, yeah, happy with the new format of everything, happy with the new league formats in one day. Uh, yeah, a big final round.
3: Yeah, I think the only thing I think would be cool is, like in London, we ended up playing twice the same team, and I think it would have been cool. I would have preferred playing like the bottom-ranked one of Division 1. That would have been cool. Than, like uh, going against a team that we had already played. Like, I think it gets complicated because then the two teams that go in the middle or the top of the top doesn't really have anyone to play again. Mm, unless
1: someone is like, that, yeah. I'll play you, but uh,
3: yeah. it's, I, it's hard to it's work
2: that out. I
1: yeah, I think it's a really interesting idea, though. Like, because I, per- personally, like, I, I, w- I wouldn't be the end of the world. Like, by the nature of it being a league, I, I wasn't, I, you know, I'm fine with playing a final you Know it was a nice chance to try and get werewolves in the second round, kind of thing, but ultimately, like playing a final for a league, it seems like a strange thing to me. Like, it's a, it's a, I, I love the idea of like a the format, like you're kind of suggesting. Like, there's so much more on the line, in my opinion, of like a promotion, relegation, playoff that would be so much fun. And you'd see teams that mm-hmm. you don't normally, you haven't really seen play each other, play each other, and stuff. Like, I, I think there's definitely merit in that. It's just how, like you say, how they pan out because. Yeah, like I say, if, if I as, as the second team in the top division, we wouldn't have anyone to play in that situation, but I'd be fine with that. Playing three games is much nicer than playing four uh, and watching a really fun game at the end with a drink would be a wonderful team. So, yeah, I, I'm not against that at all. I think it's a nice idea.
0: Yeah, I totally agree. I think if we could make that happen, that would be awesome because obviously the, the stakes, as you mentioned, but, um, you also got to think about, well, I, I kind of thought about for a while with the split, sort of how many teams we got, how many can we make this work with, I think there's twelve on this London fixture, and we still have Megalodons there. Kelpies couldn't make it down. So maybe if we had maybe, maybe two or three extra teams, we could have sort of five team divisions perhaps, and then like logistically, it could work. That'd be quite exciting.
1: Yeah, yeah, there's a way to make it work for sure.
2: It was a little bit uh, disheartening when we played uh, Werewolf Seconds uh, as our third game, and we just had to play them immediately afterwards again. <laughs> <laughs> Like it wasn't like first thing and then last thing. It was like two in a row, the same team, and I think uh, the, the scores ended up being quite different. So it it makes quite a difference playing in different orders and all that stuff. A way to sort that out would be interesting, I guess, for next year maybe.
1: Yeah, yeah I, I just think um, finals are an interesting concept in in a league structure. Like I think the problem for the guys organizing this year was that there were only two fixtures, and the first one was kind of treated as a friendlies type thing yeah. because it was you know first one back and stuff when, when they have a sequence of three all planned out in advance with everyone able to field some kind of strong roster um, then I, th- I think all of a sudden it opens up these kind of questions like we're discussing where ultimately you, you can be a bit more um, pl- pl- you can plan, plan out better the three fixtures and how you want the gameplay structure to work they kind of had to do it off the fly and try and make a spectacle out of it in a way and I think that's why they added finals but ultimately, in the long term, having like a, across the season, it's just you play three games and or maybe, and, and then at the end, there's a promotion, relegation, title, fight, all sorts. You know, I think maybe there's merit then. Um, but yeah, I, I'm looking forward to kind of like the, the genuine league structure next season.
3: Yeah, it also helps, to be honest, for us that we have to travel a little bit farther than London to London. <laughs> it's nicer to like make it worth it with a little bit more of games.
1: That's yeah, a good true, point. true. Yeah, maybe four games is better for, for travelling, but I'm I'm sure there'll be a Manchester picture next year. Hopefully.
0: I'll tell you like that. I mean, I'll play uh, I'll play Devil's Advocate on like, the back to back games. So a lot of what you see in like Major League Quidditch and also in, like um was it the uh State Shield in Australia mm-hmm. is like, series play where you'll play I don't know a best of three against another team, something like that um which is quite interesting from a tactical perspective where one game's gone down and you've got okay we're gonna approach this game in this way and you play a certain game plan and then depending on the result sort of maybe going okay that worked really well let's keep doing that or maybe going oh hang on a minute yeah we got absolutely trounced right how can we improve this and having i don't know maybe an hour or so to work that out within your team within your leadership group to go how do we improve on this and get a positive result for us
2: i think that's part of why our second game against the Werewolves seconds went so differently um because they had the benefit of a larger roster in their own team but also the world first who were watching and then afterwards they all came together to work out what they needed to do for the second game um and i think that helped quite a lot with uh that they're planning out for the second game
3: did you guys win the first one? I'm sorry. I it was really know. close
2: in the first one and then the second one was like a fair bit uh, more separate in the score.
1: Yeah, the But it was still a of great of game s-
2: each both times.
1: Yeah, the advantage of squad depth, I think, is really big for that fourth mm-hmm. game. Like we had a similar problem yeah, in the final sure. where we had a couple of injuries and then all of a sudden it was like, oh, well, you know, although we, we did ourselves proud, don't get me wrong, we did really, really well, but. Ultimately, you know, with it, with with players fit, if we'd had a deeper roster, et cetera, then, you know, you, you can start writing your own stories. And, um yeah, I, I, I think uh, you're right, but I think it just highlights the the need to push for recruitment, which is, you know, mm-hmm. it's easier said than done. But I think, um yeah, mm. I think there should be benefit to having a deep roster, in fairness.
0: Yeah, speaking, speaking yeah. of recruitment, I think one real kind of positive of the structure now is that teams are playing at their level um i think i was discussing it with ed brett on um well after the tournament where you sort of go, oh wow we've got a big challenge first game first thing and you know you've got to front up but then you look down like the lower end of the spectrum say i know you look at your second teams or sort of your lower down community teams and all of a sudden they go into tournaments thinking hang on a minute we've got a chance of winning our division and seeing seeing a lot of the wells seconds players getting sort of a trophy and medals and things like that you know it's only for division three um I know for, for some people Sam Instone shout out to him um that, that was his first ever, that. <laughs> that was his first ever Quidditch medal so to be able to kind of give some some people like a tangible thing to take away from a day of Quidditch is just going to keep them coming back more
1: yeah and i think take away the, the trophy and, and medal or whatever that's a great reward at the end but also just fundamentally getting solid minutes because you're like because you're in a in an environment that supports your learning i think is really important mm-hmm. like it's really hard to be competitive in a tournament structure when you know you, you're playing uh, such varied opposition uh, in a, in a tournament Whereas well, when you're playing in a league structure, you can be a lot more balanced, and you can plan for the long term a lot more easily. It, it doesn't all ride on one game. You know, you can yeah. you can plan your season and, and plan your minutes, and, and make sure everyone's getting a bit more of a balance. I, I think we're all adapting to that still, to be fair, because there was only one fixture this time. But I think next year is a great opportunity for that.
3: Yeah, and it can also help. Like some clubs, like we are in a point where we have a lot of players for one team, but not enough for two teams. So if you have some sort of league slash tournament that lasts over three fixtures, you can um, alternate players enough to give everybody some game time. And still, like, if you win it, the win is for everybody who participated in any of the three fixtures.
0: Mm -hmm. Mm. Yeah, that's very true. But yeah, I think overall, kind of, to summarize this section of the episode, overall pretty positive. Like, a few tweaks to the gameplay would be um, in terms of the format it would be great, but overall pretty positive. Um and just everything running really well. I mean in the Derby Derby fixture, they were like, Okay, cool. Uh, we have we have a lunch break, our lunch break. And I thought, oh like is this like like actually an hour is this like thirty minutes? Like, no, generally an hour. I was like, Wow, okay, we're running ahead of schedule, fantastic, great. Um, everything ran on time. Yeah, the There's a barbecue in a bar. Games in. and
2: (laughs) and kept to time and it didn't like go over we weren't sort of rushing to get the last one in and the last one ended just as it was getting too dark to really play it's like it was timed really perfectly and there was time for a lunch break like it's it's really that potentially
3: potentially has to do as well with the fact that there's no defensive seeking so games are relatively shorter
0: that's a really good point yeah Mm, no I don't think real it, there was no 40-minute
3: game yeah, Game's yeah no, like finished.
1: To be because you've not got one big team being up a little team and then they defensive seek for 10 hours <laughs> uh you know like it's it's you know you can both catch and then they get you know if the losing team the team that's far behind catches then they have more of a chance than they did before and yeah kudos to the people who came up with the end game it does certainly make it a more tangible end time, and I believe, like, to an extent, a more entertaining end to the game as well. Um, yeah, certainly sure. throws up new tactical questions,
0: yeah, for sure. Yeah. We'll uh, guess we'll go on to that a bit later <laughs> on. Um, I just want to focus on you for a moment. Um, so obviously, you've uh, played for a few different teams, but now you've recently joined the West Country Rebels uh, for this season. So, how have you found it? With the Rebels so far, and kind of how does it compare to your previous experiences? And then, well, I guess, the third bit of the question look overall, how was your experience of playing sort of division two in Derby and then division three in London with the team?
2: Okay, so, uh, for a bit of context first, um, so I've been playing for forever, um, and <laughs> I first started, I think, in 2013 playing for Southampton, played for five years there, and then, uh, a year with Wales of London, uh, a year with Bristol University, and then Wales of London, and then the COVID year, and now Rebels. So I've been all around the south of England, basically, um, and quite a varied mix of teams there. Um, And coming into being like in my mid-twenties, I'm really enjoying being in a community team, first of all, and enjoying the community fixtures and there being the separation with the university teams. Not that I wouldn't love to play with the university teams because I do like to play with more Quidditch people, but I've been saying for a few years that there needs to be this divide to keep everyone enjoying the game a lot more. And I'm so happy it's happened. And I'm really pleased to be in a team that's really benefiting from it. Um, And I really like the way that the division structure has allowed a team like Rebels that doesn't necessarily have the largest roster to still do really well like we came second in our group and we played really well and we had a really good time and we've really bonded over having victories and like enjoying each other's company and uh training together as well and being able to train somewhere close to me with a group of like-minded people is is exactly what i want out of a, a collaborative sport so i am I'm, I'm having a really great time to be honest um I think in both of the uh, recent fixtures, um, Rebels as a team have, have come together really well. And I think through training and through uh, a bit of uh, experience on the pitch now, like various players who um, I think maybe didn't have a huge amount of experience have come a really long way in quite a short time. And I'm really enjoying like seeing where we can go from there. Because I feel like, with a full roster, um, we'd be able to give the Werewolf seconds a really good run for their money. So there's still a lot to play for in Division Three, and going into EQT and onto BQC, it's quite an ex- it's quite an exciting time. I feel like wh- when I was at Bristol University, I I didn't quite enjoy how there was a lot of responsibility on me to coach, um, and I like coaching and I'm happy to do it, but. Um, there's kind of this responsibility as an experienced player to do a lot um and i found that kind of overwhelming but i think with rebels because there is a fair bit of experience already there it's a lot more shared out and it's a lot better of an environment for me personally and I, i'm really enjoying that going forward yeah
1: i think that point's really important by the way so not to join jump on alex's part too heavily but i oh, think please it's really do important to talk about <laughs> the, you know the idea of like um by, by nature of the university team, uh, it's structured such that there are lots of completely new people to the sport and the focus is on building up fundamental skills and game knowledge. And then over the course of their three or four years at university, as, as common for us in the UK, is that, you know, by the end of the three years, when you graduate, you need to have people in place to take over kind of thing. And we've never had that focus because we've never had the next step of moving on to community teams. So now we have a focus within university teams hopefully of learning and building fundamentals and experience and then community teams of having a base of, okay, we've already got these base skills and not know- knowledges. How do we build systems and tactics off the back of that? How do we make ourselves fine tuned to become excellent at these things or better at these things that we never, we never could at university because we've all got the same level of experience or similar. Um, so yeah, I, I completely agree, Alex. I think the system, now allows for much more balance and longevity
3: yeah yeah and great. it's also also for the social side because at the end of the day we grow and we like the it's not the same talking to an 18 year old and someone that is like mm-hmm. 25 <laughs> so <laughs> we need to like yeah it, it's good for that side as well because you get to enjoy your team on a more personal level as well
2: mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. yeah absolutely and that, that makes a huge difference to how um, enthused you are to stay in touch and to keep training and to keep going to events and stay involved with the sport because it 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 is, they're called community teams for a reason. They're about the community you have with your team and the way that drives you together collectively to work hard and train and perform.
0: Mm-hmm. Yeah, I totally agree. I think that point you made earlier about obviously the... Sort of the format we're using with the, the league structure um, has really helped like your teammates and the club as a whole because you look at the players that the Rebels have drawn from it's largely Bournemouth and Exeter sort of these teams that have traditionally been sort of lower down like university teams in the past who have haven't always had that experience of being in sort of these kind of close game sort of live or die, win or lose situations like they've been used to getting blown out by the bigger teams, um, but now through kind of pooling the resources and getting people who are sort of like minded, working towards this common goal. And like, as, as you discovered in Division 3, like having these really close games with teams, like players have a chance to develop in those high press situations. Whereas if they're exposed to that previously, they'll probably panic and not know what to do. But now they've had that experience. Um, they can only get better as players.
2: Absolutely. And like having those high intensity situations is where you develop those decision making skills to be a better player. And if you're being destroyed by like the best teams in the country, it's not only disheartening, you don't really get the opportunities to make those snap decisions as much because they're not really going to be there because those other teams don't necessarily make as many mistakes that you might be able to interpret at
0: that point yeah definitely very true very true uh mariana we're going to move on to you now uh yep. so tell us tell us about your experience uh, like these first two fixtures with olympians sort of obviously in derby you played in division one and then in london you played in division two uh so two quite contrasting uh experiences i'm sure you agree when i say that so how do you feel these tournaments have gone for you and the team
3: yeah. So there were it was the difference was so big that on Derby we lost all our games and on <laughs> on London we won, won all our games. So yeah, it was a, it was a little bit of a difference there. Uh it was cool to I personally enjoy like the hard games and I think like as a team we we enjoyed Derby because we weren't in like no expectations. We knew we were like the underdogs. So it was actually quite cool to see how close we came to some of the teams that before like coming from we're, we're a really new team really we've played we played northern and eqt and that's it um and then it was the pandemic so we are really fresh from uni really and then like playing against teams like raptors and werewolves and unspeakables and lqc i think there's a, like three teams that would completely destroyers in our uni teams and I think we put a good competition obviously we lost all of the games but we almost got um unspeakables I think. Yeah we got really close and that was cool. Um and then we went to London and it was different. It was it was the other side. We thought the games were gonna be a little bit closer to be honest and it was a bit easier, I think, uh, easier than we expected, or, I think in lo- in Derby, people had, like, pretty much all the teams have, have the squads, and also did we, but that's, like, that's not an excuse because everybody was in the same situation, but it was good to have the full team together and see what we can do when we are, like, full squad, and ju- we're just excited to keep playing and to see where, where we can get, this is our... Third, fourth official tournament, and we're growing, and it feels good. We feels like we can be competitive and hopefully beat some big name teams. <laughs> we're coming for you guys.
0: <laughs> <laughs> we all notice. <laughs> yeah, that's, that's fantastic. That's fantastic to hear. And um, you kind of touched on it there, but what I've really enjoyed about seeing Olympians, particularly in Derby, but also in London. It's just kind of that fresh approach that you guys have had to playing these other community teams. It's kind of, as you said, like no expectations. We're going, if we win, fantastic. Um, and obviously you're, you're trying really hard to kind of make that next jump. Um, and guys, looking at the, the league structure as it is, sort of, well, I, I guess I'm looking at football. but Olympians are kind of like in that kind of limbo ground between sort of the top division And the next one down, it's kind of like looking at my own team, like Norwich City. um, Sort of not like too good for Division 2, obviously, went out quite comfortably. And then Division 1, perhaps have a chance of challenging those top teams. um, But just kind of looking for that extra thing to sort of make that jump stick, basically. Yeah, yeah. yeah.
3: Definitely, we are in the middle. one. When they announced the league and we knew because of EQT, we knew we were going to be on the second division, like how things were on 2020. We assumed there was probably going to be like mechs and those bouncing up and down. <laughs> but we'll see now. We'll see yeah, now yeah, with that, when things
1: there. That, Honestly, that, that's part of the fun of the league structure. Like, if, if you have the same group of players together for two or three years, you, you you can make your way and build through your one or two seasons at the top and learn and then Work on that, and then the next time you come up, you have the right tools, hopefully, to to really make a run of it and and get you know push someone else down for a while. And like that's why these things are great. That's it. it, it adds a long term movement to the to the season and the structures and stuff. And yeah, I think it's fantastic. Yeah. Yeah, I
2: was I was scorekeeping for I think your game against Mammoths, and I firstly I really enjoyed watching. But it occurred to me that some something we were talking about earlier. I would have really loved to have seen you guys play unspeakables at that tournament. And I think that bridge between those divisions would have just if there was a way to have those games in there, it would it would be really good for the spectacle as well as just like providing some really close games because the divisions are there to divide sort of the levels of teams. And if you've got teams really pushing at the top of their division and other teams are potentially lagging behind some of the other teams, there's that little overlap there that would be really nice to see, yeah. Um,
0: yeah, there's one scenario I'm really looking forward to. Well, I'm, I'm hoping it's not my team, but I'm I'm hoping it happens. At some, and it probably will. It's pretty inevitable as far well as I'm concerned. Where there'll be one team who looks at like an upcoming fixture goes, yes, we are gunning for this. We are trading and doing all this, and we've got all these game plans in mind for the teams we're going to play. And then there's going to be sort of one of the top teams, maybe, who are under strength. They're, they're missing players or... They haven't prepared quite in the way they should have done. And then they get knocked down to the next division below and having that kind of shock factor and just kind of, yeah, that's going to create one hell of a storyline. And also, yeah. hopefully, if it does happen, when it does, because I'm pretty sure it will, it's going to sort of keep all teams kind of on notice, go, OK, we, we can't let that happen to us because it'll be pretty embarrassing.
1: Yeah, I, I don't know what their plan is for whether... Uh, it's going to be single fixture knockout or season season relegation if that makes sense like are you, are you pushed down from one fixture or are you push down from the series of three over the season I'd, i i don't know how i don't know if they've they've announced definitely what they're going to do but i agree if they did single fixture that's a great benefit but it also detracts from the benefit in my opinion the biggest benefit of, of fixtures is that you can have fixtures where you play a week roster and give people minutes to get them experience uh, if you do single fixture knockout, it brings back the tournament vibe of win now, win now, win now. And you don't give the time to the players who need the, the, to be the future of the club. So um, I, I, it's a balance because you do want that pressure under people. You want that fire under, under them. But you also want to make sure that there's an environment to learn and grow. And and I, I think BQC can f- serve as the fire. That's the one that you can absolutely gun for and prove to a team uh, who's not working hard enough yeah. to get better. But mm. I think the fixtures have to be... Uh, a breeding ground for for upcoming talent and, and a place to make sure everyone can get experience and and, and learn and grow as a team.
3: Mm-hmm. It could grow, it could work to have like the three fixtures and then have those finals just on the last fixture, even if it's yeah, just yeah. like you won your division, that's fixed. But now we will play each other to see where we go next season. Sort mm. of thing.
1: Yeah, yeah, exactly the the relegation the the promotion relegation playoff I think is a great concept.
0: Yeah. I think Seb's point about BQC there is quite an interesting one. Cause if you kind of have it as like two separate entities sort of in football say you have like your league competitions and your cup competitions and they're sort of mm-hmm. separate and it's it's a real sort of amazing achievement to win a cup, but it's even bigger to win a league. Um and kind of seeing where like the team's priorities lie. Sort of whether, okay, we spent, I don't know, two, three fixtures, whatever, really gunning to yeah. win this league. Like is that gonna be more rewarding than winning a one off BQC tournament, like which is gonna take priority?
1: Yeah, I mean to to take from to draw from what I know, football historically that the, the the FA Cup meant a huge amount, uh, and the league was something important, but I I believe, you know, they were comparable if not that the league the league was marginally less attractive than the Cup. The Cup was the, the big day out, you know. And I, I think as long as there's no financial incentive in the game, then I, I, I think the, the cup will continue to be the big one because it's, it's a culmination of so much and it has the, the payoff of that one big game where it's all on the line, whereas the league rarely has that. Um, so I think the thrill of it will always mean that the cup means something more. But I, I just love that there's multiple avenues for success um, and that someone could dominate the league uh, and then get knocked out in the semi-finals of the cup. I, I, and that's
0: that's a really fun concept, too. Yeah, for sure, for sure. Um, so, Seb, focusing more on you now. Uh, so, obviously, as you said, you missed the first fixture in Derby. Uh, so, London was your first experience of returning to competitive Quidditch. So, with the way things played out across the day, obviously, big win uh, over Raptors, and then two narrow defeats to Wales London first, to finish second overall what would you say is like the mood in the LQC camp kind of what takeaways do you have from the fixture as a whole and then I guess more broadly looking at the division one teams um sort of across the board uh, based on how the teams have played with more or less full strength rosters bar a few absentees how do you feel the top UK teams compare to each other now
1: um I thought it was interesting. I was really, to be honest, I was I was really worried getting into the fixture. I'd, I'd been away for a couple of months over the summer, as had my team, a few of my teammates. Um, you know, Crofty had been injured for most of the summer uh, with an ankle injury. Uh, ben and Kieran were away a lot. I was away, so like a lot of our players that are core to the to the LQA squad, you know, we we didn't really make any trainings over the summer because of holidays, etc. That's the that's the the negative, down that's the downside to shifting the season to the summer is that you have a lot of holidays and stuff uh, and you don't always get the team together. So we, we haven't played together as a, you know, six, the six, seven, eight of us that played the majority of the minutes at the, at the tournament. You know, we, we haven't played together since EQT. So I was I was apprehensive. and Um I, It showed a lot in the first game um against Werewolves where we were a bit disorganized. I mean, yeah, you know, we played them in swim and it was, you know, a, a strong game in a sense, defensively but attacking wise we had a complete lack of rhythm and um, it, it was nice that over the day we built up to a point where we were confident in our play style and, and without injuries you know I think we could have really done done a hell of a job in the final because we started with absolute fire when we had energy and then the second we dropped off we, we you know it was, it was always going to be hard to come back against the team with that depth so I, I think that the standard is high in the top division everyone tactically switched to Switched it up. I think we were the only team that weren't playing a, a deep zone. Uh, and that was really interesting to see. You know, I think Wells might have switched it up at a couple of points, but generally they were sitting in a 2-2. Same with Raptors, same with unspeakables. So it was interesting to look at everyone trying to adapt. You know, we basically had a year and a half, two years of nothing. Everyone went away, thought, what's the best thing to do with these new rules? And came back thinking, well, let's park the bus. Um, and I like to think, you know, we were aggressive enough to show that you can be, can still push high, even though the hoops are wide and stuff. Uh, and it might be our undoing later on, but I just like that there was tactical variety. Um, and I like that there were clear structures and plans in place to utilise team's players. Um, and, and yeah, that, that's, that's probably the best summary I can give of, of the top division off the top of my head. Um, but yeah, it, I think everyone utilised their play as well. Um, and, and everyone had a moment in the day where I think they felt good about themselves, even though Unspeakables never got the a win over the line. Like they had 12 or 13 great minutes against us where they kept us pretty much level. Um, and then, you know, Raptors had their big win over Wolves. Wolves got the win overall and we got, you know, our, our big win against, uh, against Raptors. So, yeah, I think everyone had a moment of this is what we can be. And the question is just who takes that moment and translates it into something more. Um, and I think it's tricky because we've got now an off season basically. Um, I, you know, I don't really think of EQT as a real tournament. Uh, you know, it's 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 a qualifier. It's not um, the pinnacle of the season. It's not a league or a cup. So uh, you know, waiting to BQC, I think BQC is going to be really really interesting.
0: Hmm. Yeah, I'd say I'd re- replicate a lot of that. And as you said, like, every team had something to take away from the day. Um, I know from a Rats perspective, obviously, we didn't like losing to LQC in the manner that we did. Um, but then we were able to come back and beat werewolves in that game. And obviously, werewolves winning the whole thing, always nice to get a few medals, lift a trophy. And then for you guys, obviously, like, being able to perform the way you did with the roster you had. Because um, generally, it's quite a small one. So if you do have the odd injury here or there or a player is missing, it does make a real impact. But then at the same time, I think, as you've kind of seen with LQC, um, sort of since the club started and also with Raptors previously, having that smaller roster, that bit of extra connection within the team has its benefits. And then equally, when you look at, say, Unspeakables or Werewolves, having that depth, especially in the longer games and towards the end of the day, can also be massively impactful as well.
1: Yeah, indeed. Like the smaller roster meant that it was really easy to adapt. Every time we wanted to change something, we had a very quick talk between you know the eight to ten of us or thirteen of us, whatever. You know, we were like, okay, well, here's what we change. Here's how we do it, and everyone said, yeah, all right, great. And then and then we changed it, and and it worked. You know, every time we changed, we got success from that change. um Yeah, and as I say, like you know, when we get a couple more players back from injury, we're at like kind of fifteen, sixteen, that healthy roster size, where it's you've still got the benefits of the small roster, but you've just got that extra player in each position. You know, yeah, um, yeah. I wouldn't want to be the other teams.
0: <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it's true. I kind of found, from our perspective, having one of the bigger rosters there, it was quite chaotic at points when you're sort of coming on, thinking I've got to make this, I don't know, three four minute burst that I've got really matter, make it count. So maybe kind of forcing things a bit more than you should have done, um, trying things out. Um, well, sort of in some case playing it safe, like safer than you should do. Um, whereas yeah, the benefit of the smaller roster if you, if you are getting that bit more fatigued. Yeah, if you even if you're getting that bit more fatigued, you've also got the opportunity to have, I don't know, twice the amount of set offenses that say players on the other team might might not get. So be able to work things out during the game, um, not necessarily during a timeout, but also mid-game thinking what's working, what's not working and then adapting based on that.
1: Yeah, like a deep roster should win out against a smaller roster. The, the only reason a deep roster doesn't is because they're not as in sync as the smaller roster. And that comes down to, you know, for us, we didn't get the chance to train, but there were not many of us, so we could be in sync. Whereas, you know, Werewolves were in sync and had a deep roster. And I would say, like, without you know being too harsh, I think Raptors were a little bit less in sync for uh, you know, they had peaks, but ultimately were a bit less in sync, so they couldn't make the depth count as well as werewolves could over the course of the day. Um, so yeah, I think hopefully it's shining a light on the need for people to uh, put work in ahead of tournaments and ahead of fixtures is that training is so vital.
0: Super. Um, so just kind of moving to more general discussion now uh we we kind of touched on it earlier but having had a few tournaments and some training sessions to work things out uh what do we think of the new rule changes under the latest iqa rule book also with the quk amendments as well How do you feel these changes have helped or hindered the game
3: i was i wasn't sure to be honest but having to play two tournaments i quite enjoy it i think it's good I, I was really not a fan of the starting from the side. But um I think it's actually quite cool and it has like um I like being the like the beater that runs on, on, on contested it has quite an important role that um I didn't notice until we started playing because it's you're running twice as long, but it's that one player that can actually stop a goal from the start and is is far more important than it used to be before and it also like at the, at the end it doesn't affect the long like the starting lineup doesn't affect more than like 15 the first 15 seconds so it doesn't matter that much but yeah I think it I like the role of the uncontested un- beater um I think it's far more important and as we said before like I, I think I like the for the spectacle the snitch on page two uh, situation as well having the opportunity to catch from behind and still win the game and yeah and shorter relatively shorter games I was
2: going to say about um the brooms up situation as well because um, like I've I've been in most brooms up for most games I've ever played and the way th- this is a very small thing but because the the contested bludger is now closer to where you're starting from and just for me personally <laughs> my start of my run my first few steps are very quick so i usually get in front there so it being shorter is just beneficial for me so i'm very happy um <laughs> <laughs> but i also i also really appreciate what you were saying mariana about that like initial goal um because well scored on us um on in one of our games from that um because uh their their chaser just grabbed the quaffle and took it straight in before we had our, our, our beats had a chance to actually take the shot and it's it could be quite easy to take a lot of teams off guard with that, and it's it's a new, interesting element to the game. Um, although, I don't know if I agree with you about the starting lineup not affecting much more the rest of the game, because if you, like, get control, get the quaffle off that starting bit, that allows you to set the tone for the start of the game, and build up the, the momentum in your way, and that can make a huge difference over the course of the game. Yeah,
3: um, yeah. I think that what I was trying to say is, like, it just it doesn't. It doesn't affect. As soon as you turn, it doesn't change. It doesn't make the difference from before. That was what I was trying to say. Like it's the same yeah. thing. Yeah. Obviously, yeah, it's yeah. more into a
2: game environment.
1: Yeah. yeah exactly. Yeah, yeah I, I um, agree. I, I really like the flow. I like the brooms up. I like that. There's still a little bit of drama. There's a new tactical question being asked. Um, and, mm-hmm. and ultimately, the, it just means there's well, the, this time there were absolutely zero injuries from brooms up, and I don't think there was really any risk of it. Like, there, it didn't feel at any point like there was danger involved in brooms up, which is yeah, of nice. so much safer. You know, I I used to love the spectacle, and I really wasn't looking forward to losing the spectacle of you know running each other for the balls at the start. But given that it's a contact sport, people always in the wrong moment in the wrong mindset can take it a step too far and you know, be a bit reckless so this just takes out that element of you can be as competitive as you want off rooms up legally and there's no danger really and that's, that's really nice to have it it makes it a lot safer um, and still like you say has some of the fun of it and then yeah the end game is great I just think it gives hope to teams that are a bit further behind and yeah it a- asks again new interesting tactical questions but what do you do in this situation what do you do in that situation how do you change it depending on the other team? And ultimately, I think that is always a good thing. Um, it's it's tricky to explain, and and that's always going to be a hard thing when you're recruiting. You know, as long as we're called Quidditch, you know, and there are brooms involved, people are going to think of Harry Potter. And when you change the rules to this extent away from what people might expect from Harry Potter, I'm not saying we should be Harry Potter. I'm just saying when you try and explain Snitch on pitch, and you say, oh well, what happens is if you catch the sitch, there's a set score and that set score is this much ahead of the top team and then you play to the set score. It is fundamentally trickier. D- despite it being better, it's fundamentally trickier to explain to new people. And we need to find a way to boil it down for people. And I'm sure we will over time. You know, We'll we'll find a way to make it easier to explain to people, but yeah, that's just the short-term task for recruitment is how do you explain what the snitch actually does.
2: Mm-hmm.
0: Yeah, I'll add some more points. Other-
2: Yeah, there's a couple of other smaller rules that I think have made quite a substantial difference. The first one being being able to kick multiple times, the the ball, that is. Um, And it's the kind of thing that came up really infrequently, but is such a boon to be able to use if you have like at least like a decent foot on the ball. Like passing to yourself, going past someone or like just an extra couple of taps, whereas before you'd have to actively lose the ball because you couldn't make another effort with your foot, it changes the game up substantially. I mean, people no one's going to be dribbling the ball along the floor because it's slower, it's harder to keep a hold of it. So the ball is still going to stay in people's hands, but being able to have those couple of extra taps if you need it, I think allows for a lot more interesting, varied gameplay. And the other one I was going to talk about is um, the UK um, amendment to... uh, uh, getting back in on broom, tapping in on the middle hoop instead of any hoop, and I think because predominantly I think it dramatically changes the beating game because before you could have your beaters sat on 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 your hoops quite wide, but on their on those hoops, especially now the hoops have been made even wider, and that allowed you a huge amount of basically invulnerability if you knew what you're doing. And now that you're really close in, you're forced to be aggressive because if you're not aggressive, your opponents can just walk in closer and take shots. And so I really like the way that it's forcing beaters to not just play super cagey. And I'm a cagey player, so like it, it affects me negatively, but I really appreciate that it makes the game flow a lot better and it makes it much more interesting and tactical. Yeah,
1: I, I really agree. And I also think we haven't, fully realize the potential of that rule yet. Like um, the fixture was still dominated by deep defenses, but the primary objective of tapping on the middle hoop and widening the hoop distance is to stop kg deep play. Why? Like, it's to make that fundamentally harder. Why? Like, yeah, I, I, I as much as I enjoy watching US games, you know, there is a clear stagnant rhythm to some of their games. You know, they're, they're all just passing around looking for the same opportunity. And and you know when at least in MLQ they have this tapping on middle hoop that we kind of took this from, and it, it just adds tactical variety to what could otherwise be a very stagnant game. When you're when the primary dominant tactic is if you pack the box with four huge individuals, it is really hard to score. No matter how you play with your beaters, it's just going to be hard to score when there's four massive people on the hoops. Um, so yeah I think the, the more th- those rules will be fully utilized I think going forwards and we'll start seeing more tactical beating of chasers to try and create space etc where previously we haven't been in sync enough to pull that off
3: yeah I think it's going to be interesting as well to see how it shapes the like we have like relatively standard defenses that everybody uses sort of a similar shape but I found out a lot that I was running into three people every time that I was trying to tap or trying to be standing around a hoop or something like that. There was a keeper, there was a chaser, and I couldn't beat through them and stuff like that. So it's going to be interesting to see how even the shape or where the keeper, the keeper normally stands in front of the middle hoop that might shift to one of the sides and stuff like that.
0: Yeah, um, that's a very good point, Mariana. Um... Yeah, I was kind of thinking of that from, like, a safety perspective. Um, So we found a few times in training where, I don't know, a point point chaser gets beat out, and then another chaser, and then maybe a beater as well, and then all of a sudden there's three people trying to run into one location rather than three, Um, which is... Like, Quidditch Quidditch is chaotic at the best of times, but, like, in that sense, it's just... It's all over the place. Um, So potentially... I don't know if if, say MLQ or someone else was to trial a new version of the rules, perhaps adding in like a different tapping in point, sort of, I don't know, I'm like spitting ideas, it could be at the back of your, your pitch, or it could be off to the side somewhere. But just the idea of so many people being in one space kind of, in, in some ways, it can also negate, like what the rule intended for in the first place of unpacking that, that box.
1: Yeah, yeah, we'll see. I think I think by nature of when it gets packed and people are all tapping in at once, that means the offense probably has a pretty good window to score. And I think I was going to say the same thing. That happens, the more teams will adapt and I personally I just think you have you have two choices with when the hoops are that wide and you're that vulnerable, you either have to make the pass long enough that it's really hard, so pushing high and being aggressive or you need to sink deep. like teams are doing, but when you sink deep, you run risks of all getting tapped out, and the other team just picking you apart. But then, if you sit high, then you run the risk of those trades that your beaters make, or you know those tackles that your chasers try and make one on one not panning out. Mm-hmm. So you know we'll see where it shifts to in the long term. But at least I think there's you know there are multiple valid tactics, which is you know ultimately the objective of, a, of any game or sport is that multiple tactics can thrive. Yeah, uh, depending on roster, your roster.
0: Yeah. And I think with the spacing and the tapping, it's made things quite diverse now. Like a lot of teams mm-hmm. I noticed, we're leaving that kind of central lane a bit more open and kind of maybe putting a beta in front of the hoops, essentially just to allow that space for people to tap back in uh, with kind of the beta protecting there. Yeah. So essentially, like that shot, if you can hit it, is on. So say, looking at way, the way Wavels played um, in London, they had a lot of great shooters on that team. So wow. when they played against us, whether it was directly from the start of the set offence, they could pick any one of those hoops and then just put it through or say, I don't know, if it gone to the back, then the shot's open from the back as well. So it's made it less of a drive-dependent game, especially when you consider the way that We've typically played Quidditch in the UK where it's been give the ball to the biggest person and have them run in a straight line, you know for the best. Like it's mm. made that less of a viable tactic and the shots a lot more on if you can hit it.
1: Yeah, indeed.
0: Just just also just to bring it back to the um the end game. Um Seb, you mentioned that it's quite difficult to explain to new people. Um I found that quite interesting because in terms of the way Quidditch was invented, Um, if you go on to YouTube, Alex Benapy does a really good TED talk about how he set up Quidditch and he was saying that when J.K. Rowling invented the sport, it was designed not to work, Um, which I always find quite funny um, because essentially we've taken a sport and sort of going, oh, this is really, this is a really fun idea. Let's try and make this happen in real life. So fundamentally, if we're getting really, really deep, Quidditch is designed not to work in the first place. And we've kind of looked for a way to make it happen, make it make sense. Um, but ultimately, that confuses people more than the, the original idea.
1: <laughs> <laughs> yeah, indeed.
0: But yeah, definitely a lot, lot of good, positive changes all around. Um, just looking a bit more at like a gameplay perspective now kind of based on what we've seen so far from the community teams where do we feel like the like the uk quidditch is tactically right now um like do we notice much difference between like the different divisions um during the last fixture or yeah are are people kind of playing a similar kind of way or are there differences between the teams
1: i mean the beauty of community Quidditch, and I said this a bit before I alluded to it earlier, and I mentioned it to Alex when we spoke at the weekend itself. Like, you know, every division has teams setting up in a good strategy, good setup. They are all organized, they know their roles, they know their jobs, and that hasn't been the case in UK Quidditch for a while. And that's not because that's partly because there are a lot of university students, as I said earlier, which makes it a lot harder to do, but ultimately it's because these guys all have enough experience there be coordinated and organized together and, and, and you know, work together to, to build a strategy. So you could see it from, you know, the I, I didn't see, the only game I saw from Division 3 was um, the final of, of the Division. I was reffing um, uh, West Country Rebels against Werewolf Seconds, and both of them set up really well. Both of them were trying to make the right type of cuts, would make the right type of passes, their beaters had the right strategies, You know obviously there are always places every team can improve and that's true for all three divisions but every team had a strong basis on which they can build and that is a fundamentally brilliant thing for a league structure and a tournament structure whatever like everyone's got the building blocks in place to to improve and everyone can have a tangible thing to work on in their trainings between now and bqc to say here's how we become that next level better because we've seen how all the other teams around us are playing, and we know how to adapt to be better than that.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: I thought this would be a good question for you, Seb. <laughs> 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 this
2: is your ballpark. Likewise, <laughs> but I, I completely agree with you. Um, I, I, re- I actually didn't see any of Division One, um, at the fixture because I was, re- uh, scorekeeping or playing in all of the slots. Um, But from what I did see of Division 2, I I completely agree with you. Like, all the teams look really good. Um, It it didn't seem to me like any team was sort of just being overrun. Like, there was structure, there was constantly ideas, there was tactics at play all the time, and every team had particular leaders who were driving those tactics for their teams. And it was really clear to see, like, like... each of these teams has good organization and experience within them such that they can build up these ideas and learn from each other and learn on the fly Um, something that i'm a really big fan of which is it's it's not like a brand new rule but the use of timeouts i think is has become much more ubiquitous and most teams are now really making use of their timeouts and you can see like when a team calls a timeout there's always going to be players who like bring everyone together just like this is what we need to do And it's it's really good to see that throughout the divisions, you're getting that that, uh, effort going into really adapting on the fly as well as having a good structure to start from.
3: Yeah, as a player, I can feel the difference. Um, Like, as I said, we've really been only playing for a community team for not long at all, but it felt like in London, it felt like we would do something that we actually prepared for and it would work. So, like, we the teams are getting to that point where you can actually plan a full-team tactic and go on and do it. We actually had, between our third and fourth game, we had an idea, like, one, one of the new players and the coaches came up with this new tactic, and we were like, okay, let's try it on the third game. And we were capable to tell the whole team, okay, this is the plan, and we implemented it without even really um training for that specific tactic and it's just nice to see that yeah how teams are getting to the point where we can actually play tactically and not just be like okay let's score some goals and beat some people and see what happens
0: mm-hmm.
3: and I think all the teams are getting to that point and it's cool to see
0: mm-hmm. yeah I definitely agree with a lot of that and like one thing the kind of observation that I had from kind of looking at of the different divisions uh, that I saw, was that Division 1, I think, was a lot more kind of beta-orientated in terms of the way the team's set up. It's kind of a case of sort of beta's leading the team and sort of creating opportunities for their chase to score, which has kind of been, I guess, the meta with Quidditch for a long, long time. But for me, when I looked at Division 2 and Division 3, There's a lot more that was chaser led um, and kind of seeing the ball movement and the passing and the movement from the chasers on those teams. Like you looked at the way Olympians are playing or the way that South Sea are playing, for example. I thought they were very good in terms of not just waiting for their beats to do something and then attacking from the front. They'd move it around. They'd put in like switch plays, a few sort of screens here or there. Um, so a lot of the ball movement I think was a lot better further down but perhaps does that feed into sort of saying we're division one because I think division one players know that say for example a Bill Orridge or a Yacro Sartori's got this incredible range so I'm going okay if I make that pass here that's probably going to get intercepted or if I make this move here um, that's going to be cut out by this beat and we're going to lose lose the Quaffle. So it's really interesting kind of yeah. seeing that contrast and the confidence that a lot of Division Two and Division Three players had to play in the Quaffle game.
1: Well, I, I think what you I think what's interesting from what you said is I think maybe towards BQC or maybe over next summer, I think we're going to see a kind of a regression to the mean from 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 both ends of the spectrum. I think the top division we're going to see. Far more ball movement, far more passing, the ball around. Because the deeper defense sits. Look at like at any other sport. When a when a defense sits deep around the goal, um, the the opposition who are trying to break that structure down, in the, in the best sense, they always try and move the ball, shift the defense to find the gaps and to make them work hard. Whereas in Quidditch, we don't see that as much because we we're not used to a deep defense as being a predominant tactic, and. Trying to shift our focus to aggressive possession, a bit like you see in the top level US, where they move the ball around looking for angles for shots and drives. Like we're going to see far more of a shift towards that in the top division. Whereas the where there's more chaser orientation and less beta reliance in the lower divisions, I think we'll see a shift towards that because, you know, ultimately the best way to become competitive is is to have a, a beta pair or a beta roster that can mix it and get control and hold control for portions of the game against top opposition. So their, their focus is going to be, okay, how do we make a play to our beta strengths and how do we get our beaters to, to get control? And, and the, the other end, it's going to be, okay, well, how do we break down the team when they're making it so hard for us to get control? Um, so yeah, as they'll both almost move back towards each other a little bit, which will be fun.
0: Hmm. Yeah, I'm definitely looking forward to seeing how those tactics develop across the season and well, even even further along in the future. Um so moving on to our last bit of the episode now. Um and yeah, again, we touched on it a little bit earlier in the episode, but let's go into a bit more depth. Um so with such a big break now between EQT uh and the point we're at in the season, sort of start of October. Um how are we hoping to spend our time and are there, like, certain events to look forward to in the rainy months of the year? Sort of. And then, yeah, I guess, are we glad to not be playing official competitive Quidditch in the middle of winter? Or what are our thoughts on that?
1: Uh, I want to answer yes. that early on. <laughs> yes. get, get, get rid of winter Quidditch. It sucks. In England, it really I don't does. know about anyone listening abroad, but England, English, English Quidditch in, in the winter is awful. No one can hold the ball properly. Gameplay's awful. The passing's awful. The beating's awful. And the only people that have fun are the people that aren't as reliant on the finer arts in in the game. (laughs) there's There's a place for the brute force, but it's not my place. So I personally, am very happy. I also think fundamentally, it is brilliant to have a winter break. As I said before, I think it's great for sustainability of player retention and player recruitment. And I also think, because we're split from the universities and they play when we aren't playing, anyone who's keen like me can show up to university fixtures now and not worry about ditching their club team or you know not putting enough time in on the training pitch or whatever. There are it's talking of events to be looking forward to over the winter. If you're listening to this, you're, you're you know no offence, but you're a keen Quidditch player because you listen to a podcast about Quidditch, right? <laughs> And <laughs> if you're a community player listening to this. Go and volunteer at your university fixtures. Okay? There's one in the north, there's one in the south. Show up, okay? coach, ref, timekeep, scorekeep. Show that there's a community that makes this sport so great so that when yeah. these freshers show up, and recruitment is so hard for the universities right now, okay, when they show up, they're going to see a wave of support and a wave of experienced people that they can look up to and respect leading the way in how to run a sport. So you know, if, if you're sat there oh, it's really rubbish that there's no winter quidditch, it, trust me it's not that special okay enjoy being wrapped up warm volunteering and helping people and you know if you need that rest if you need that time off away from the sport then take it enjoy yourself enjoy your christmas break and come ra- come back hungry for bqc and work hard with your team to build towards that in training because that that's what this winter break's for is to to try and give you either a rest or an opportunity to help grow the sport and and whatever works for you fine but just push that in your clubs yeah mm mm-hmm. 100%. Thank you
0: for coming to my TED talk.
3: <laughs>
0: <laughs> I love it. So I so, agree. <laughs> so concise. <laughs> I
2: think the other thing that we'll all be doing, or at least that we should be doing, looking to next year for the rest of this season, is training over the winter. Because just because we can't actually play the game during the winter doesn't mean we can just sit down and do nothing.
3: Yeah. Um, We've already, we should... there's like, Sorry,
2: go, go. Sorry. Oh, I was just going to say, like, especially over the winter time, um, it's very easy to just, like, eat more, stay at home, not put in the effort to keep fit. And you will feel it next season when other teams have been keeping fit and you haven't. And it could dramatically change the game if some teams don't put in the same effort that others do.
3: Yeah. I think it's also a cool opportunity to have some, like, friendlies I know the London clubs are having on the, at the end of the month, they're having some sort of thing. And we're meeting Raptors after the Northern as well. So I think it's a cool long break where we can help the uni teams and also play each other without that, like added pressure, like train with other people and cultivate that community feeling.
0: Yeah, for sure. I hope, uh, anyone out there listening, but like if you have the appetite for some kind of more casual Quidditch, like feel free to organize it because um, it's it's perfect time for that, even if the weather is less than ideal. Um, but yeah, it's going to be very interesting when we get to the new year, say with EQT in February, sort of a real kind of test to see who's been working hard, who's been staying fit over that break. Um, and perhaps you might see a few teams get caught out by that at EQT. Um, I think that's going to be very interesting Interesting to see when we get there.
3: Yeah, As a devil's advocate, I think February is the worst month of the year in terms of weather.
0: <laughs> I almost prefer November yeah.
1: than February. <laughs> so... No, no I, I agree, but I understand why it sits where it sits. The problem mm. with the European qualifier is it has to be yeah. early enough that you comply with the European deadline. But late enough that the universities have time to build a strategy and recruit enough yeah. to compete. Um, and mm. you know, I, I personally, I think long term, it's better to have um, European places decided by BQC and league than have a specific tournament in February. Like I personally am just a strong advocate of an actual break over winter. And when you add EQT, it, it does become a half break. It becomes a, you know, like Alex said, you don't want to, you don't want to lose fitness and lose the EQT. But we, you know, personally, I want a chance to not be conscious. I mean, I'm personally I keep I'm to keep fit just in general, but I want an opportunity not to be worried about being in the gym three or four times a week for the sake of trying to win a Quidditch game. You know, I want, I want to have a, a couple of months where it's a bit more relaxed. I can you know play a bit more football and I can forget about the stress of trying to be successful in Quidditch for a bit. So I, I there are different ends of the spectrum and like there are friendlies mm. to fill that void for people who want to be involved. But I think you know, long term if if we phase out and keep phase phase out EQT, then we'd build a an environment for for a balance for everyone.
0: Yeah. There's a very good angle to look at it from as well. Sort of when you look at well, the international players, the players are very top of the game. Like beforehand, sort of before COVID, there wasn't really I guess maybe like December, but like there wasn't really like a an off season so much. Like you just constantly on it and on it and on it. And realistic
2: QPL as well. Yeah,
0: exactly. Like, realistically, Mm, realistically down the years, some players have probably been driven out of the sport because they just never had that time to switch off. And I feel like after COVID, like, during the time of lockdown, we had that rest and kind of that renewal of passion for the game and kind of seeing the way that a lot of people come back into the sport now with that. Hopefully that becomes an annual thing that people have that break and that desire to come back and... Yeah, that new purpose, basically.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: Yeah. Yeah, I'm very excited to also see what happens with the university leagues, of course, because um, we've obviously talked a lot about the community side of things. And I think overall, if we were to summarise the community at the moment in the UK is in a very positive, positive place. But the flip side of that is the university. So the other side of the split um, and kind of coming back from the pandemic not having a chance to recruit various players graduating uh it's going to be in quite a difficult position so i'm really excited to be able to go to the uh the Salford fixture in november the the northern university fixture and to help out there and well obviously give these university teams a chance to play finally which be obviously they've been waiting for a long time but also yeah to give them a chance to be able to Win something tangible, and as Seb said as well, like showing them there is a community here that when you graduate, as I imagine, there'll be a lot of fun year students. There's a place for you here, um, and you can you can be retained in the sport and you can keep playing into your adult years. Yeah, we're going to wrap it up there, um, but guys, it's been a lot of fun sort of about an hour as uh, I planned out. So well done, everybody. Um, Good timing. Yeah, thank you for your input. Are there any last thoughts? Anything you would like to plug? Anything like that?
1: No, no, nothing at all. I, I thank you for for running this Fraser, and hopefully, anyone listening uh, is is pumped to to get get out there and uh, either get their friendlies organized, get training, or get volunteering. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, Absolutely.
3: yeah. Thank you for having us. It was nice to have a chat.
0: Yeah, sure, definitely. Yeah, definitely. thank you for having us. <laughs> yeah, I'm looking forward
3: to playing yeah. you guys.
0: <laughs> yeah, it's gonna be great. Uh, so yeah, I hope uh, everyone this has enjoyed it as much as we have. Uh, hopefully, well, potentially at some point after you've had these university fixtures, we can uh, have an episode about that and talk about the university game. I think that'd be quite exciting. Um, anyway, so if you want to stay up to date with future episodes of the Talk Quick podcast please give the Toast Glitch Facebook page a like. We'll be announcing upcoming guests and episodes on there. And, of course, giving you a chance for you to send in more of your questions uh, when we have the main episodes back. Um, so, yeah, until next time, keep yourself safe and live the game. Goodbye.